sharing good news of great joy to all people. Elation Church. Week number seven in a series that we have been looking at. Now this series, I've entitled it Under the Umbrella. What an appropriate title for today. It's supposed to rain all day today, so hopefully this will give us deeper insight in what it means to be under an umbrella instead of out from under an umbrella. Um, Ethan said he was going to help me today. So come on down, Ethan. Ethan's going to play God. As I look through Scripture from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, I believe this fact that God has always, he always has and he always will want his people to acknowledge him as king. And we can use the word king, we can use the word Lord. You know, he wants us to acknowledge him. And as we look through scripture, when people acknowledge him as king and Lord, then they can live under what I call his umbrella. His umbrella of blessing, protection, and provision. It's all found when we acknowledge him and when we live our lives close to him. Okay? But I also see this in scripture. That there are so many times, and I see it in my life too, there are so many times when people just want to do their own thing. When there's been times in my life, there still are times in my life where I just want to do my own thing. And I don't acknowledge God because all of a sudden something catches my eye and I'm running towards whatever that is because that's what I want. Can anyone, can anyone relate? And we look in the Old Testament where when God's people were close to him, when they were acknowledged him as king, then they experienced his blessing, protection, and provision. But when they didn't, all of a sudden, some bad things happened. And this study is a study through the book of Judges. And if you know anything about Judges, <laughs> you know that God's people did evil in the Lord's sight by... It started out by them not obeying him when they first went into the promised land. They didn't do what he told them to do. And he told them, he said, if you don't drive out the people, you're going to have problems. Don't let your sons and daughters marry the Canaanite people. If you do, they're going to lead you astray to worship their little g gods. Okay? So, God's people would live a while <laughs> honoring God as king, and then they would do evil in the Lord's sight and step out. Now, here's the thing we need to know about God. God's a good God. Look at the person beside you and tell them God's a good God. God's a good God, all right? Jesus told us about the Father. Now, we look at the story as the prodigal son, but I believe it was more about the good father being our God than it was just about the prodigal son. But it's the same story, right? The prodigal son left the good father and just wasted his life. And then he came back to his senses. And he said, you know what? Even the servants in daddy's house are living better than I'm living. So he came back and don't forget this part of the story. When he just crossed over the horizon, guess who was looking for him? His father. He was looking. And do you think he looked every day or he just so happened to look that one day? He was looking. He was looking. He wanted his boy to come back home and then he saw him. And what does it say? Did he run up to him and say, I told you. Is that the response? No. He threw himself on him and hugged him. He was so happy because as far as he was concerned, his son was dead. No connection. 
But now his son was back. His son's alive. He's going to have a party. He's going to put the robe, the robe that signified sonship on him, the ring, the shoes. That's who God is. God's a good God. And when God's people went away from him and judges, and then they would come to their senses, God was always wanting them to come back. Listen, when you go do your own thing, God's always wanting you to come back. He's, all, he's ready to welcome you in. Come on back. <laughs> come on back. Because he's a good God. He's a good God. Thank you, sir. Hope we don't need that when we're taking down everything after church today. So you might say, how do you know God's a good God, Dean? Well, he tells us who he is. Tells us who he is. Proverbs 18.10 tells us this. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress, a strong tower, and the godly, the righteous, run to him and are safe. Who does God tell us he is? You know, I've got people in the room that I'm not sure if you know this or not, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. God is one who has revealed himself. He's, he's three persons, but he's one essence. He's one God. Okay? So when I give you four names for God, it doesn't mean that we have four gods. Actually, the Bible has more than four names that God has given us so that we can know who he is. Everybody say, who he is. And what he does. Everybody say what he does. Okay? Have you heard the name for God El Shaddai? Have you heard that name? Here's what it means. It means almighty God. God is almighty. Look to the person beside you and tell him he's able. He's able. He is the almighty God. And he is able to completely nourish to completely satisfy, to completely supply. That's what El Shaddai means. That's who God is. And that's who he wants to be for you if you will acknowledge him and respond to who he is by faith and receive who he is. He is Yahweh Jireh. He is our provider. He is Yahweh Ra. He's a good shepherd. He's a good father. He's a good shepherd. He's a good God. What does a good shepherd do for his sheep? Protects them. Provides for them. Takes them to the best pasture. Takes them to the quiet stream. Takes care of them. He is Yahweh Nisi. He is our banner. What does a banner do in warfare? Now, I'm not telling you you'll never have a problem. I'm telling you that in Christ, you can be victorious in every problem. That's what I'm telling you. He is Yahweh Nisi. He's our banner of identity. He's our banner of victory. I remind you, you know, in wartime, when the flag is over the fort, if it's my flag, that means we have victory at the fort. But when my flag goes down, another flag goes up, we've lost. Temporarily. <laughs> right? So God is our banner of identity because we are in him. We are part of his kingdom. And it's our, he is our banner of victory. Jesus in the New Testament carries on this same theme, Matthew 23, 37. He says this, How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. What does this tell us? Jesus wanted God's people to recognize him and acknowledge him. And if they would have, it would have been like a hen protects 
her chicks. It's like if a, if a hawk comes over where the chickens are, the hen spreads her wings and all the little chicks run under to protect them, to care for them. And Jesus said that's who he wanted to be. Jesus is God, right? Come on, somebody. But he says, you wouldn't let me because they wouldn't acknowledge him. I'm just going to pause and say, I'm going to acknowledge him. (laughs) I'm going to acknowledge him. I'm going to believe he is who he says he is, and I'm going to believe that he wants to do what he said he wanted to do for me. That's the way we take hold of it. That's the way we take hold. Now let's go to Judges. Judges 17, verse 6. says this, In those days, what days? During the time of the judges. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Look to the person beside you and say, that's bad. See, we don't live our lives by what seems right. We don't live our lives by what feels good. We live in a world that says, if it feels good, do it. And if it seems right, do it. We don't live our lives that way when we're in Christ. We live our lives according to what God has said. Because if we live our lives by what seems right or by what feels good, the Bible tells us in Proverbs there's a way that seems right, but the end is death and destruction. So we need to live our lives by what is right based on what God has said. Thank you for those amens. In Judges, we've looked at some unlikely heroes, and I don't have time to preach them all, but if we were to vote on who needs to be the person taking up the sword, because we're not talking about a judge in a black robe that's like pronouncing verdicts and cases. No, we're talking about a military leader. We're not talking about someone who just sat in the office as a military leader. We're talking about someone who would be on the front line with the sword leading the charge. So if we were voting, I don't think we would have picked any of these people to be judges, but God empowered some unlikely heroes. The first one was Othniel. He's 75 years old. You know, in our generation, if somebody's 75, you retire and move to Florida, right? We're not going to vote for you to be on the front line spearheading the charge. We looked at Ehud. The Bible calls him a left-handed man, but when you look at the Hebrew, it means that his right hand was closed up. So most likely, he was handicapped in his right hand. He couldn't use his right hand, couldn't function. We wouldn't select a handicapped person to lead the charge. Shamgar. He's just a farmer. But he killed hundreds of Philistines with a farm utensil known as an ox goad. It's just a long stick with a pointy end and a blade end to scrape off the mud off of your plow or something like that. Wouldn't pick a farmer to lead the charge. Deborah, she was a godly lady and she was acting as more of a judge. The Bible tells us that she sat at the tree of Deborah and she was a prophet. She, she had a relationship with God. She could hear God and she would share with people what God was saying. But we wouldn't pick her to lead the charge with a sword, right? As a matter of fact, we found out in that story that God used her to speak to someone who was supposed to lead the charge but he had more trust in Deborah than he had in God. So God said, because of that, you're not going to get the credit. And then we also entered J.L. into this story. Housewife. She's the one that got the big credit for taking out Cesera, I think that's how to pronounce his name. You know, she nailed his head to the ground with a tent peg. The captain of the guard. Whew. Shall I say it again, Mark? 
She's bad Mama Gemma, wasn't she? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Goes back to our days. We're about the same age. Anyway, let's pick up Judges chapter 6, verses 1, 4, and 6. I can't preach two messages. This, this has turned out to where Gideon is three messages. So we're going to end it up today. I probably could have preached five or six weeks on Gideon. There's so much stuff there. But Judges 6, 1, it gets us up to speed. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So they moved out from under the umbrella of God's blessing, provision, and protection. They did evil in the Lord's sight. They started worshiping the Baals, the gods of the Canaanites. Israel did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. He said, I'm not going to force you to acknowledge me. If you want to do something else, see how that works out for you. Looks the person beside you and said, it didn't work out too good. They were handed over to the Midianites for seven years. They left, the Midianites left the Israelites with nothing to eat taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys. I remind you, you just can't run to Walmart and get your groceries. This was an agricultural society. You had to have animals. You had to plant gardens. You didn't just run to the store. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then, after seven years, the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And here's my question. Why did it take them seven years? Some of us have spent farther and longer, well, let's use the word longer, longer living our lives away from God than we should have. And we experienced some difficulty and we experienced some trouble that we didn't have to. God was wanting us to come back to him, to come to our senses and come back to him. Look at the person beside you and say, be quick to run to God. Be quick to run to God. So they cried out to the Lord for help. God had been patiently waiting for his people to return for seven years. And as soon as they cried out to him, he put a plan of deliverance into motion. In Gideon's case, he sent a prophet to remind them of his goodness and his faithfulness before he called Gideon. And God called another unlikely hero. Not only was Gideon the weakest person from the weakest family, that's what he told God. It's like all the other family clans can beat up my family and I'm the weakest person in my family. Even my little sister can beat me up. So we wouldn't choose him to be the military leader. Here's another reason that we looked at last week. Everybody in the town went to Gideon's house to worship Baal because that's where the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole were. It was at Gideon's house. Would we pick him? Would you pick him? If everybody's going to worship Bell at his house, his dad's house, his family home, I wouldn't pick him, especially if his little sister could beat him up. So he looked at Gideon's call, and I just remind you quickly, God saw in Gideon what Gideon did not see in himself. And when God looks at you, he sees who you can be. If you will yield to him, he sees your potential. He sees who you can be. And that's what he calls you to be. We saw his stand last week. When he took a stand and tore down the altar to Baal and tore down the cherub pole and he, and he built an altar to the Lord in the same place. He did it at night because he was scared, but at least he did it. At least he did it. He took a stand. And as a result... His father even took a stand when the whole community wanted to kill him. So he looked at those things. Now we're going to get to the rest of the story. Judges 
6, verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He came upon Gideon. I looked this up in the Hebrew, and it gives you this picture. The Holy Spirit wrapped around Gideon like Gideon put on a garment. So the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. And what did Gideon do? He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Ebiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. So, I can't read three chapters today, but 32,000 men responded to Gideon's call. That's a big army to just, in a, in a day or two, or in a few days, all of a sudden, you got 32,000 people coming to fight with you. But here's the problem. The people from Midian, Malachites, people from Mount Seir, they had gathered together to basically wipe out God's people, and there was, there was 135,000 of them. They're outnumbered, right? They're outnumbered. So Jerubel, they had changed his name, let Bel defend himself. <laughs> Jerubel, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Too many? 32,000 to 135,000? I mean, we're outnumbered four to one. It's not very good odds, is it? Outnumbered four to one. God says that's too many. God says if you beat them outnumbered four to one, you're going to brag on yourself. Just going to throw this out there. How many times has God done something in our lives that we have taken credit for? Selah. Just think about that a minute. How many times has God done something amazing and we didn't acknowledge him for it. We didn't brag on him about it. We didn't. Somebody said, wow, this is amazing. What's happened? Yeah, you know, I made some pretty good choices along the way. <laughs> Judges 7, 3. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So, it's like, who's afraid that you might die since we're outnumbered four to one? Anybody have any second thoughts? Well, if you, if you think that you, you know, that we're going to lose and you might die, just go on back home. 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. That changed the odds dramatically, right? Now they're outnumbered 13 to 1. That's, that's rough. Outnumbered 13 to 1? I'm not sure that I could... If there were 13 Ethans, who's the youngest person in the room right now, I could probably take him by myself. You know, because I'm a lot bigger than you. All I have to do is knock you down and lay on you, and I win. I've done that before. But if there were 13 people your size, as strong as you are, and you were all working together against me, you would have a good chance. They're outnumbered 13 to 1, and this isn't middle schoolers. This is 
an army, a trained army, a well-equipped army, outnumbered 13 to 1. In verses 4 through 7, but the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup the water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. So they're just kneeling over and picking up the water with their hands and drinking out of their hands like a cup. The other group, in the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. So you're getting down on all fours, you're putting your face in the water and just drinking that way. Only 300, everybody say 300. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. So, so now we're down to 9,700, right? I tricked you. No. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, everybody say 300. With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. How many of you think that 300 people could brag about how strong they were going up against 135,000? Is anybody glad we know the God of impossible? <laughs> Whoo! I'm glad I know the God of miracles, the God who can accomplish what we would call impossible. Nothing is impossible with him. Now they're outnumbered 450 to 1. I'm not sure that I could take on 454-year-olds. I mean, you know, it's just the volume would just overwhelm you, right? I mean, let's think about this. I mean, it's, a lot of times we don't think like that, right? We don't, we don't think about, like, what if I was there and it's 450? Hey, Gideon, can we take another vote that says, if you're afraid that you're going to die, do you want to go home? Hello? It's bad odds. We got some military people in the room. That's bad odds, right? I mean, we don't have any bombs or... I mean, this is just swords and spears. I'm not even sure if they had a bow and arrow yet. 450 to 1. Let's back up and talk about some things real quick. How do we practically live our lives allowing God to be king? How, how do we do this? Living under his umbrella of blessing, provision, and protection. And there's some things... In the story, even though this is Old Covenant, there are some things that apply to us. It applied to them, but it applies to us even at a greater measure under the New Covenant. So how do we live our lives acknowledging God as King? Well, we live our lives being led by God, led by the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we need to recognize. Gideon did not have the Holy Spirit taking up residence in him. The Holy Spirit was not tabernacled in Gideon. The Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament to equip them and to empower them for the things that God called them to do. But get this. If you are in Christ today, God has taken up residence in you and the Holy Spirit is always with you and in you. The Bible tells us in Corinthians, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? We did a whole series on being spirit-led, but listen, we... We live our lives acknowledging God every day and acknowledging the Holy Spirit who is in us and with us. He's the divine genius. 
that we can consult every day of our lives. I mean, who thinks it would be really awesome to have a divine genius that knows everything about everything that you can talk to every day? If you're in Christ, he's in you and with you. You can talk to him every day. He knows everything about everything. We don't have to live our lives just going by whatever, you know, whatever wind blows our way. Just like a reed. Just one day I'm over here, one day I'm over here, one day I'm over here, one day I'm back here. We don't have to live our lives that way. We can be led by the Holy Spirit. I believe that he still comes upon us to empower us for ministry, but he's also in us. The times when he comes upon us is for a specific task, right? But he's in us all the time and he's with us all the time to lead us and to guide us. We got to be led by the Holy Spirit. We got to acknowledge that. Galatians 5, 16 and through 25 says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. How much more direct can it get than that? Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Has anybody experienced that, being in Christ? Your desires used to be different than they are now. Only three of us. Verse 18, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. It's not about a list of rules to keep. Because if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, He's not going to lead us to break any of the rules. The Holy Spirit, He does this too. He produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And the more that we are led by the Holy Spirit, the more that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are going to be evident in our everyday lives. Say la. I'm not pausing because I don't have anything to say. I'm just letting you think about that. What does your life look like? What did it look like yesterday? Was, was love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, was that evident in your life to the point that the people around you could see that that was evident in your life yesterday? I mean, if you want to check out the self-control one, all you have to do is get on I-4. We can put it to the test very quickly to see how spirit-filled and spirit-led that we are. See how spiritually mature we are. Get on I-4. Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part. Everybody say every part. In every part of our lives. Not just our church box that we pull out on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. Whew, I'm preaching hard today. Not just the church box. You know what I'm talking about. It's not just carving out an hour and a half for God on Sunday. And then all the rest of it is just about me. No. We shouldn't even have a church box. That's where we live. In Christ. Following the Holy Spirit's leading. Walking with God. Acknowledging God. Our, our box needs to be the kingdom of God and that needs to be where we live every day of our lives. It 
So we are led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead us. He's not going to ever lead us or tell us to do something that is in disagreement with the Word of God. So God's Word is our standard. Had a guy one time tell me that God was telling him to do something, and I said, no, he doesn't. God's not telling you to do that. And I told him, and he got mad at me because he wanted my approval because he told me God told him to do it. And I said, God didn't tell you to do it because if God told you to do it, he would have to rewrite the Bible. So it's always according to the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. His word is a lamp and a light. Now, Gideon, after he called the 32,000 and before he got down to 300 at the beginning of that, has anybody ever heard of throwing out a fleece? Does anybody spend enough time in church where you like throw out a fleece to God, you know? Well, I just want to tell you. The Holy Spirit came upon Gideon, but the Holy Spirit was not in Gideon. And the whole, we have the Holy Spirit in us and with us. And he leads us and guides us. Now Gideon, he's like, well, God, if this is really you, I'm going to throw this, this wool blanket on the ground and if the, if the blanket's wet and the ground's dry, then I know it's you. So he got up, the blanket was wet, ground was dry. Well, that could have been coincidence, right? I mean, that, that may be the way it is every day. I just don't know. So God, tomorrow morning, <laughs> if it's really you, now I want the ground to be wet and the blanket to be dry. And it was. But we shouldn't have to rely on fleeces. Now, because it happened in the Bible, I can't say it won't happen. But we need to be in a, in a deeper relationship with God and communicating with God to such a way that we don't have to throw out fleeces when, when he speaks to us we hear his voice, we recognize his voice, we do what he says to do. So, but fleece says this is the one instance in the Bible where there's a fleece. Sometimes, and there's verses that talk about open doors and closed doors. But consistently throughout scripture, we see God speaking to people. I'll say that again. The tried and true, what the Bible says is that God will speak to you and God will lay it on your heart to do something that he's calling you to do. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about God opens doors and closes doors and if God closes it, no man can open it and if God opens it, no man can close it. Has anybody heard that before? We shouldn't live our lives that way. If I lived my life by the open door theory of following God, I would not be here today. I wouldn't be here. Because if I just looked at the best open door, the open door that had the most money or the best benefits or the best financial decision open door I wouldn't be here can't tell you how many times that doors have opened and when I prayed about it there was no peace see following the Holy Spirit you're always going to be following peace and if I would have went through some of those doors I mean I might have more money in the bank today, but I don't think I would be able to have the joy and the peace that I have today.
So, sometimes what God is leading you to do, it can be confirmed through open doors, but not always. Because sometimes open doors will take you away from God instead of to God. Other times, confirmed by other believers. But here's the deal. God's going to tell you. I'm glad I can't remember her name or where she was from. But I had a lady one day to tell me that her spiritual gift was telling everybody else what to do. And you laugh, but I'm serious. That's what... She said, you know, my spiritual gift isn't doing anything. It's, I'm the idea, idea person. I'm God's idea person, and I come up with the ideas for everybody else in the church to do. And you laughed, and I almost laughed in her face when she told me that, but she was serious. I was like, I don't see that spiritual idea person. Don't see that one. But I have shared stories in the past where someone had someone told me something. It was kind of a weird experience because I was in a room with about nine hundred people, and the person, this lady was doing a concert, and all of a sudden she walked up to me during the concert and said something to me straight up in my face on the microphone, and I'm like I was a little freaked out. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not resisting God in the way that you just told everybody, 900 people that, well, come to find out. I don't know how many years later, five, six years later, I was like, oh, that's what God told her to tell me. That's why she told me. That's, that's why. Yeah. So, here's the deal. She gave me a confirmation of something that God was going to speak to me seven years later or six years later. I mean, five to seven years later. But when God spoke that to me, all of a sudden I remembered that. And then it was like, Confirmed, right? Other times, you know, the Bible talks about there being a wisdom and a multitude of counselors, and other times I've talked to people about what God was leading me to do, and then they would confirm that. Okay? But not always. Not always. Remember the 12 spies? that went in to look at the land, the majority doesn't always vote the right way to follow God. Are you with me? Because 10 said we can't have what God said we could have, and 2 said we can have what God said we could have, so let's go take it right now. Well, who got what they said? All of them. Because <laughs> the 10 died in the wilderness, and the 2 got the promised land. So, we shouldn't live our lives trying to confirm, always trying to confirm what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. We just need to obey. We don't always have to have a fleece or somebody else or an open door. We need to know. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice and they follow me. So to that I say, bah. Yes, Lord. So now they're down to 300. 300 against 135,000. And Gideon is following the direction of the Lord. He says to these men, I'll go ahead and throw this out. I just can't deal with every part. I can't spend time on every single part. 
But Gideon still wasn't sure, especially when he was down 300. So he went down to the edge of the camp the night before, and they were listening. And they heard, at least in one tent, that somebody's having dreams, and, and then the dreams being interpreted that, that God's people are going to take them out. And I'm sure it didn't just happen in one tent. And I'm sure when they got that, they started talking about it. Oh, I had this dream. I had this dream, and, you know, it doesn't look good for us. They didn't know that God's people was only 300 people. They didn't know that. But they all went to bed afraid. And how many of you know when you're overcome by fear, you're going to make some bad decisions? So they all went to bed afraid. So Gideon divides his group up into 100 each. So there's three groups of 100. The 135 Midianites, Malachites, people from Mount Seir, they're all in the valley. So Gideon and his guys, they spread out in groups of 100 around the field. And he says this, he says, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, just do as I do. Verse 18, as soon as I and those with me Blow the ram's horns. Blow your horns too. All around the entire camp and shout. For the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight. They're trying to go back to sleep. They're all afraid. It was just after midnight. After the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, suddenly... They blew the ram's horns. They broke their clay jars. They had torches in their jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. I'm just going to throw this out there. Everybody didn't carry a horn with them. They collected all the horns when people started leaving. The Bible tells us that. I mean, where's the sword at? If you got a torch in one hand and a horn in the other hand, you're just shouting sword. <laughs> Each man stood at his position around the camp. They didn't move and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other. It's like, it's dark, it's after midnight, everybody's running out of their tent with a sword, people are running around with swords, so they just start fighting. They think that they are under attack. So they start killing each other. The Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled. Over 100,000 people lay dead in the valley when God's people were still just up on the hill. They blew their horns and they shouted and they had their torches. None of us would come up with this plan. None of us would come up with a plan to march around the walls seven days and then on the seventh day march around seven times and then shout. None of us would come up with this plan. God did. Look to the person beside you and say, this was God's plan. And here's the deal. Sometimes God's plans don't look very logical to me and to you. doesn't look logical. I, I still look at Elation Church and I say, this is not logical. I had a house where I lived where I could hit a golf ball into the Atlantic Ocean in a gated community with all the amenities. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. It, it doesn't make sense to just leave that and come down here not knowing anybody and start a church and a school. 
unless God told you to. Unless God told you to. It's a miracle. Could you live without a paycheck for three years? If God told you to, you can. I mean, back in 92, God told me to quit my job and go on the road in evangelism. And can, can you pay for a house? I mean, we just, we just built our house and we've been living in it less than a year. Our son, was Jeffrey, was not even a year old yet. And God said, quit your job and go, go into evangelism. It's like... Doesn't make sense. But I'm here today to tell you, if God tells you to do something, if you obey him, he'll take care of the rest. And this is not just theory. I have lived it and I am living it. One day we took off to go to Maryland from South Carolina. We had a had gas in the car, gas in the was that a van or was that our other motorhome? I can't remember. We had enough gas to get there. But I guess we was just going to live in Maryland after that because we... And you know, somebody called us right before we left town and said, can I take you to lunch? Sure. I mean, we're driving right by the food cart, food court at Greenville Mall. Let's just meet it. We must have been in the motorhome because I didn't want to park it anywhere else except big old mall parking lot anyway. And you know, that lady that met us had never given us a penny before that day. She never gave us a penny after that day. But I knew that after the trip, no matter if the church actually gave us anything or not, at least we'd be able to get back home. And we'd have food to eat while we were there. I mean, because I talked about the big things, but I'm telling you, the little things too. The little things. God's plan always brings victory. Might not make sense. I'm not telling you that every one of God's plans, none of them ever make sense. Don't take, don't run that direction with what I just said. Okay? Because I've stepped into God's plans that made sense too. But his plan will always lead you to victory and triumph. It's not that you'll never have a struggle. You'll just always be victorious. Judges 8.22. They've, they've won. I mean, they chased them and they've won and there's a lot to the story, but Judges 8.22. Then, listen to this. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, we want you to be king. Hey, Gideon, we want you to be our ruler. And you and your son and your grandson, we're going to set you up as our king now. And then when you don't want to be king anymore, then your son can be our king, then your grandson can be our king. Because, listen to what they said. For you have rescued us from Midian. Did Gideon rescue them? He didn't rescue them. Here's the deal. Natural people and carnal people, they just don't get it. I mean, they saw it, and they knew what happened, but they just don't get it. They're trying to give Gideon the credit for what God did. Guess what? Gideon didn't take the credit. And I'm going to remind you, I've already brought this up one time, but I want you to remember this and never forget this. Always give God the credit for the good in your life. I'll say it again. Always give God the credit for the good in your life. The Bible says in James 1, 16 and 17, it says, don't be misled. Look to the person beside you and shake your head and say, don't be misled. Don't be misled. 
My dear brothers and sisters, don't be misled. Whatever is good, everybody say good. And perfect, everybody say perfect. It's not coming from you. It's not coming from the government. It's not coming from any other source. It's coming from God. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God, our good Father, who created all the lights. I mean, he created all the stars. And he never changes. He's good. He never changes. The good comes from him. I'm glad Gideon replied this way. Judges 8.23, but Gideon replied, I will not rule over you. I'm not your king. My son's not your king. Here's what he said, the Lord will rule over you. He got it right. He got it right. It's the Lord. We need to look to God to be our king. I don't want to be your king. I'm not the one who delivered you. God delivered you. Yet he used me, but it's God who brought the victory. I'm not ruling over you. Let the Lord rule over you. Verse 28, that is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Everybody say peace. Rest. Peace. Peace in the land. And if we are not experiencing the peace of God in our lives, it may just be that we're not acknowledging God as king and Lord. Because that's one of the markers. That's one of the markers. The peace of God. And you can, it doesn't mean everything. I'm not talking about the world's peace. I'm not talking about everything perfect and lovely and going right and then now I can have peace. That's just world peace. God's peace is you have peace and rest in your, it's guarding your heart and your mind no matter what's going on around you. Hello? That's God peace. We live in a broken, messed up world. There's always going to be some things swirling around us, but we can have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. People who don't know God, don't know his peace, they just don't even know how you are experiencing the peace that you are experiencing because if they were going through what you're going through, they would be messed up. So, God's people, 40 years, had peace. With God as king, his people lived under the umbrella of his blessing, provision, and protection for the next 40 years. God wanted them to get there a lot faster than seven years, but it took seven years for them to come to their senses. Run to God. Run to God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you for speaking to our hearts today and I, I pray that we will take hold of the things that you've said. Don't let us just run out of here and forget everything. I pray that your word would be planted in the good soil of our hearts and that it will grow and it will produce a harvest, a harvest of praise and acknowledging you and giving you the credit for all the good things in our lives, a, a harvest of peace that surpasses understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds, a harvest of walking in your spirit and being led by your spirit on a daily basis and hearing your voice. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This online worship experience was brought to you by the friends and partners of Elation Church. 